Section 15 of The Jolly Parisiennes and Other Novelettes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Nace the Brunette by Emile Zola. Translated by George D. Cox. Chapter 5 The Landslip. September was drawing to an end. After a violent storm, the air had become very cool. The days grew shorter, and Nais refused to meet Friedrich at night-time, excusing herself on the ground that she was too tired, and that they would catch cold in the heavy dews which saturated the ground. Still, as she came to the house every morning at six o'clock, and Madame Rostand did not get up till three hours later, the lovers were able to meet and exchange their kisses. It was at this period that Nais showed the greatest affection for Friedrich. She would take hold of his neck, draw his face towards hers, and look into it with a passion which filled her eyes with tears. It was as if she feared she might see him no more. Then she showered kisses upon him as if to protest and swear that she would guard him. "'What is the matter with Nace?' Madame Rostand would often remark. "'She changes every day.' And indeed she was becoming thinner and her cheeks more hollow. The fire in her eyes was dying away. She often remained for a long while, silent, rousing herself with a start, and the alarmed look of a girl awakening from a dream. "'You are ill, my child. You must take care of yourself,' repeated her mistress. Then Nace would smile and answer, "'Oh, no, madame. I'm quite well and happy. I've never been so happy.' One morning, as she was helping to count the linen, she ventured to ask a question. "'Are you going to stop late at La Blancarde this year?' "'Till the end of November.' replied Madame Rostand. Nace stood still for a moment with her eyes fixed, then she unconsciously said aloud, Twenty days more. A continual struggle was taking place within her. She wished to keep Frederick with her, and yet at the same time she was constantly tempted to cry out, Go! He was lost to her. Never would that season of love return. She had told herself so from their first meeting. During one night of gloomy despair, she had even gone so far as to wonder whether she ought not to allow her father to kill Friedrich, so that he might never love another. But the idea of seeing him dead, he so delicate, so fair, more like a girl than herself, was insupportable to her, and the evil thought filled her with horror. No, she would save him, and he should never know of it. He might love her no longer, but she would be happy in the thought that he still lived. She would often say to him, don't go to sea today, the weather will be rough. At other times she pressed him to leave La Blancarde. You must be sick of being here. You won't love me any longer. Go to town for a few days. These changes of humor surprised him. He thought her less handsome now that her face had become drawn, and besides, satiety had come. He pined for the eau de cologne and the rice powder of the Aix and Marseille beauties. The old man's words were constantly ringing in Nace's ears, I'll kill him, I'll kill him. In the middle of the night she would wake up dreaming of shots being fired. She became timid and uttered a cry when a stone rolled away from under her feet. Whenever Friedrich was out of her sight, she would worry about him, and what terrified her most was that from morning to night she still seemed to hear Micoline repeating, I'll kill him. The old man, in his stubborn silence, never made any allusion to what had passed, not a word, not a gesture. But for her, his every look, his every movement implied that he would kill his young master at the first opportunity he had of doing so, without being disturbed. 
Afterwards, he would deal with Nais. In the meantime, he kicked her about like some disobedient dog. "'Does your father still use you badly?' asked Friedrich of Nais one morning. "'Yes,' she replied. "'He's going mad.' And after showing him her arms, black with bruises, she muttered these words, which she often whispered to herself. "'It'll soon be over. It'll soon be over.' At the beginning of October she became more gloomy than ever. She was absent-minded, and one could see her lips move as if she were talking to herself. Friedrich saw her several times standing on the cliff, seemingly examining the trees around her and measuring the depths of the abyss. A few days later he discovered her with Tuan, the humpback, plucking figs on the furthest part of the estate. Tuan used to come and help her whenever she had too much to do. He was under the fig tree, and Nais, who had mounted on a thick branch, was joking with him, calling to him to open his mouth and then throwing down some figs which burst on his face. The poor fellow opened his mouth as he was bidden, and closed his eyes in ecstasy, whilst his huge face expressed complete beatitude. Friedrich was certainly not jealous, but he could not refrain from taking Nais to task. "'Tuan would cut off his hand for us,' she said curtly. "'We mustn't ill-treat him. He may be useful later on.' The humpback continued coming to La Blancarde every day. He worked on the cliff, cutting a narrow canal to bring some water to the end of an experimental kitchen garden. Nace used to go and watch him, and lively talk would ensue between them. He was so long over the task that old Micheline finally called him a lazybones and kicked his legs, as he would have done to his daughters. For two days the rain fell. Friedrich, who had to return to Aix the following week, determined that before leaving he would go out fishing again with Micheline. Seeing Nace turn pale, he laughed and said that he should not choose a day when the mistral was blowing. Then, as he was so soon to go away, the young girl consented to meet him once more at night. About one o'clock they met on the terrace. The rain had cleansed the soil, and a strong scent arose from the freshened vegetation. When this parched country is thoroughly soaked, all its colors and odors become exaggerated, as it were. The red earth looks like blood, the pines are of an emerald green, the rocks of the whiteness of freshly washed linen. But that night all the lovers could detect was the enchanted scent of the thyme and lavender. Old associations led them to the olive trees. Friedrich was walking towards the one which had sheltered their first love meeting. It stood quite at the edge of the abyss. When Nace, as if aroused from a reverie, seized his arm, dragged him from the edge, and said, trembling, No, no, not there. Why, what is the matter? he asked. She hesitated and finally said that after such a fall of rain the cliff was not safe. And she added, last winter there was a landslip here. They sat down further back under another olive tree. At last Nais convulsively burst into tears and would not say why she was crying. Then a cold silence took possession of her, and when Friedrich joked her about her sadness and apathy in his company, she murmured, no, don't say that. I love you too much. But I'm not well, and besides, it's all over. You're going away. He vainly tried to comfort her, telling her that he would come again from time to time, and that next autumn they would have two months before them again. She shook her head. She knew very well that wall was over now. Their meeting ended in embarrassing silence. They gazed at the sea. Marseille was glittering with gas lamps. The Planier lighthouse displayed its solitary, mournful gleam. Gradually the vast horizon imparted some of its melancholy to them. At three o'clock, when Friedrich left Nace, kissing her lips, 
he felt her shudder. He could not sleep that night. He read till dawn, and then, feeling feverish, he took up his position at the window. Just at that moment, Micheline was starting off to take up his traps. As the old man passed along the terrace, he raised his head and asked Friedrich if he was coming that morning. No, replied Friedrich, I've slept too badly. Tomorrow. The old fellow went off with a slouching gait. He had to go down to his boat at the foot of the cliff just under the olive tree, where he had surprised his daughter. When he had disappeared, Friedrich, on turning his head, was astonished to see Twine already at work. The humpback was standing near the olive tree with a pickaxe in his hand, repairing the narrow channel which the rain had damaged. The air was cool, it was pleasant at the window. Friedrich went to make a cigarette, and as he lounged back to the casement, a terrible crash, a roll of thunder, was suddenly heard. He rushed to the window. It was a land slip. He could only distinguish Tuan, who was running for his life, flourishing his pickaxe amid a cloud of red dust. At the edge of the abyss, the old olive tree with its gnarled branches had been pitched forward, crashing into the sea. A cloud of spray flew up, while a terrible cry rent the air. Then Friedrich saw Nace leaning over the parapet, her stiffened arms clutching at the stonework, while her eyes peered into the depths below. There she stood, motionless and expectant, with her hands, as it were, fixed to the low wall. Still, she no doubt realized that someone was looking at her, for she turned her head, saw Friedrich, and cried, My father! My father! An hour afterwards they found Micoline's mutilated body under the stones. Tuan, nearly crazy, related how he had almost been carried away, and everyone declared that it was wrong to carry a stream along the top of the cliff, on account of the infiltrations. The old wife wept a great deal. As for Nace, she followed her father to the cemetery with tearless eyes. On the day after the catastrophe, Madame Rostand had insisted upon returning to Aix. Frederick was very much pleased to leave, on seeing his tranquillity disturbed by this terrible drama, and moreover, in his opinion, peasant girls were not equal to their town-bred sisters. He resumed his old mode of life. His mother, touched by his attentiveness to her at La Blancarde, gave him more liberty, so that he passed a charming winter. He engaged a furnished room in the town, where he could do as he listed, and he slept from home, only returning to the vast frigid mansion in the Rue des Collages, when his presence was indispensable. He fondly hoped that his existence would always continue to glide thus smoothly away. Monsieur Rostand had to go to La Blancarde at Easter, and wished his son to accompany him, but Friedrich made some excuse. When the lawyer came back, he said the next morning at breakfast, Oh! By the way, Nace is going to be married. Never, cried Friedrich in amazement. And you'd never guess to whom, continued Monsieur Rostand. She gave me such good reasons, however. The fact was, Nace was marrying Tuan. In that way, nothing would be changed at La Blancarde. Tuan would still manage the property, as he had done since Micheline's death. The young man listened with an awkward smile. Presently he gave it as his opinion that the arrangement was the best for everybody concerned. Nace has grown very old and plain, continued Monsieur Rostand. I didn't know her again. It's an astonishing thing how quickly girls age on the coast. And she used to be very pretty, too. Yes, a feast of sunlight, said Friedrich composedly, and then he quietly went on eating his cutlet. End of section 15